Remain standing if you're able, and let's give our full attention to the reading and preaching of God's Word as we continue in our series from Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, indeed, this is your word open before us. You delight in speaking through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes now to behold beautiful and wonderful things from it. Help us to see that upper story and that lower story, your story, as you seal to us again your grace and favor. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Good morning. I'm going to start you back in 1987, the year I graduated from high school. Class of 87. Also in that year, there was the largest single-day stock market crash from 19, since 1929. And there was a gentleman by the name of Richard Stearns, who was at the time CEO of a large corporation, was having a crisis of all sorts. He says, and one day my wife Renee and I lost more than one-third of our life savings. The money that we had put aside for our kids' college education, I was horrified at the situation and became like a man obsessed. I was consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it showed one night when I was burning the midnight oil trying to fix the problem. Renee came and sat beside me and said, honey, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage. We have our health. We have our friends, our children. We have a good income. There's so much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this, and you need to trust God. Stern says, don't you hate it when someone crashes your pity party? I didn't want to let go of it. And I told her I felt responsible for our family, and she just simply did not understand. It was my job to worry about things like this. 
And then she suggested this, why don't you pray about it? (laughs) Something that hadn't occurred to me, and so we did. At the end of the prayer, to my bewilderment, Renee said, now I think that we need to get out the checkbook, and we need to write some big checks to our church, to the ministry's support. We need to rest and surrender uh, to God, demonstrating that we know that this is His money and not ours. I was flabbergasted at the audacity, uh, audacity of this suggestion, but in my heart, I knew she was right. So that night, we wrote some sizable checks. We put them in envelopes addressed to various ministries, sealed them, and sent them. And that is when I felt a wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless and a little giddy. God, please catch us, I thought. Because we just took a crazy leap of faith. Actually, that leap of faith would lead uh, Richard to leave his corporate job, uh, become the head of an organization called World Vision, uh, which he did up until just a couple of years ago. Wrote a book called uh, The Hole in Our Gospel a few years ago where he recounts this story that uh, overwhelming recklessness and giddiness. I love this story for a lot of reasons. I mean, A, it's just such a great reminder because I, I find a, a compatriot in Richard. You know, when something happens in our life, whether it be financial or uh, relational or whatever it might be, I'm immediately thinking, okay, how can I fix it? Uh, and then, like in this story, oftentimes it's my wife who comes in with like, well, have you thought about praying about this? Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's just such a, a tension there. And part of what we're looking at here in this series in Luke is how Luke is writing this as an educated man to presumably another educated man, Theophilus. And he's saying there is certainty in the Christian life. There's certainty in following Jesus. And that certainty comes when we connect the upper story of our world with the lower story of our world. And here you you get this in the story that Richard tells. I mean, there's very real lower story concerns. We talked about this a little bit last week. I mean, there's finances. There's all of these different things. There's kids' college to pay for. There's there's these things that, that can consume us. We can throw in things like health and all of the lower story concerns. But then there's this upper story, the stuff that people can't see. There's my own relationship with the Lord, the the faith that I have. Uh, There is prayer. I mean, is there actually a God out there, up there, that I can speak to, that can intervene in the lower story of my life? I mean, this, this is what we're dealing with. And this is exactly what Jesus came, not just to talk about, But Jesus came to do. He came to unite the upper story and the lower story. Again, that's Francis Schaeffer's image. He's talking about a house, you know, these upper story, lower story. Our tendency is want to say, Lord, we'll take care of the lower story. uh, And then, you know, we'll leave the upper story stuff like faith, belief, prayer, all of that. We'll leave that to you. 
But, but Jesus is breaking these categories, and we see this as we stop in on the various miracles uh, that he performs. Here we have uh, sort of a supernatural inbreaking, an invasion of the upper story into the lower story, and it, and it draws us into this story. Now, narrative story, remember uh, Luke is talking about a narrative of things that happen, and we are invited into this story. So, very simple outline for you this morning. We're going to actually have to do a little work to fill it out, but, you know, the, there's an upper story invasion with lower story implications. In some senses, this could be the outline for every sermon that we're going to preach uh, in, in the remaining series. I promise you I won't do that to you. Uh, but uh, uh, we have to do a little work. So let's start with the upper story invasion. What we're saying here is that this is a miracle of Jesus. It's not the first miracle uh, that he has performed. You see that in Luke chapter 4 is where he starts his ministry, and he starts what is known as the Galilean ministry. Uh, Jesus has performed some miracles there. He's, uh, he's healed Simon's mother-in-law. He healed many, it says. He's cast out some demons. So there's already been some of this upper story invasion into the lower story that's caught people's attention. And so they have gathered around and they're listening to him teach. The other thing that is really catching their attention is that he teaches unlike the other rabbis and masters. This is a guy that is speaking with authority. This is a guy that is speaking in a way that compels you to listen often. Off. And, and, and so they're pressing in on him. It's really interesting to look at some of the verbs in the first uh, part of this. You know, they're gathered around, they're pressing in, they're standing. There's just a lot of activity. And so Jesus says, we need to change this space. There are more and more people coming to hear the message. And I want the message of the gospel to get out to as many people uh, as we can. So we are going to change our worship space. Uh, Simon, let me use your boat. And so he takes Simon's boat and he pushes out into these little inlets that make up uh, the Galilean Sea or the Lake Gennesaret. It's the same body of water. Uh, and, and they're able to push out in such a way that they could stand around on the shore and it's almost like a little natural amphitheater where Jesus could preach and he could give them the word. Now, there's something here for us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that part of, uh, on that part of what's going on, but uh, the word is so important. You know, we need to encounter the words of Jesus and, and allow them to change us. We have lots of opportunity to do that in the church. I hope you're taking advantage of it. Everything from the devotional book that we provide to Bible studies for men and women, uh, youth group, all sorts of places. Sunday school, if you're not a regular uh, in our adult institute or Sunday school, we need to be encountering the words of Jesus because it's there that we encounter Jesus. And it says these people are coming, giving attention to his word, that they are going to encounter him at a different level. And we see that with what happens next. Jesus then turns his attention to Peter and he says, okay, I'm done teaching. Now let's start fishing. And it's interesting to me uh, with Peter here, Peter was okay. And I, I, I sort of get Peter. This was one of the things that, you know, as I study these things, I've read the story so many times, but the Lord really convicted me with this this week. I'm happy when, when Jesus, Jesus used me for churchy things. 
You know, when, when, when Jesus wanted to use Peter's boat as a pulpit, Peter's like, all right, that's cool. Uh, let's, let's use that. Now, Jesus says, let's go fishing. And you notice what, how, how Peter's response is. He's very respectful. He uses the term master. But he's also letting him know, like, hey, I, I'm a fisherman. We've been fishing all night which is the best time to catch fish. And we have been toiling all night, uh, but we haven't caught anything. But at your word, we will uh, let down the nets. And so they go out into the deep, and they have this tremendous catch of fish. I will say a miraculous catch of fish. Why do I say it's a miracle? Well, there's several things that point us to that. You know, one is just the fact that it happens at the command of Jesus. It happens out of the ordinary times. Usually you're not catching fish, especially not like this, during the daytime in this particular region of the world. Uh, it's a miraculous catch of fish. I mean, look at the response of the folks. You know, it says at the one hand, they were astonished by the number of, of fish. Like they were experiencing the power of Jesus in such a way, so much so that they were afraid. I mean, Jesus has to come to them and he has to say, do not be afraid. This is a miracle that is happening before their eyes. Uh, not only that, there's also the sign element to this. This was one of the things that I learned this week in studying this. Uh, you know, so often, and we read a, a couple of passages like that in the Old Testament, and again, we're just so un-Jewish, we don't pick up on these things, but fishing and fish are, are signs of judgment and the messianic kingdom and, and all of these good things. You saw that in Habakkuk where he uses the imagery of fishing <coughs> as a sign of judgment that was to come. We see that in Ezekiel and other places. And then in Ezekiel later on, you see the abundance of the oceans and the teeming and the fish. All of that is a sign of, of the, the new earth. We see that again in Revelation, sort of coming through. So when, when this stuff is happening, just like when Jesus turned the water into wine, it, it wasn't just that he was in the mood for a good Merlot. He was trying to say, this is the sign of the Messianic kingdom. The mountains will drip with a sweet wine when Jesus will come again, when the Messiah will come. In the same way, the Old Testament folks would have said, fishing, ah, you know, this has to do with judgment. This has to do with the Messiah. This has to do with the new heavens and the new earth. All of this. So when we're seeing this great catch of fish, we're not just simply seeing somebody who's got a knack for fishing. We're seeing the Lord who comes down, who controls all of nature, and who is inaugurating his kingdom. This is what this miraculous catch of fish is foretelling. And it is this miraculous catch of fish that eventually catches Peter. Because what we recognize about what Jesus is doing here is that Jesus is not just simply about these wriggly, slimy things in the water. Peter, or, or Jesus is fishing for Peter. 
Uh, he is very focused in on Peter, this one who is to be the rock, the pillar of the church. Uh, he is very focused in on Peter understanding and having an experience of who Jesus is and, and learning something about himself and something about the Lord uh, in the process. And notice that he learns it. You know, he starts out master, rabbi, good teacher. Uh, but notice then how he responds when he sees this. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He, he completely changes in his assessment of who this person is. He is no longer just a, ma a rabbi, a master, but he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who created the deeps and the fish and all of this. And I'm sure that Peter couldn't have articulated this uh, so clearly. He's still learning. We're going to see that as he goes. He's going to make mistakes. It's going to be a step forward, two steps backward. But he is experiencing right now that this is somebody who is otherworldly from him. And you notice what it does to him. It, it uh, in Tim Keller's words, it, it creates a self-quake in Peter. You know, depart from me, I am a sinful man. He is, he is shaken to the very foundation, the very core of who he is. Uh, he, he no longer is sure about himself as a fisherman, He's no longer sure about himself as a Jew. He's no longer sure about himself in terms of... He, he is shaken to the very core and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I am recognizing that I am different than you, that you are different than me. We are completely different and I need you uh, to, to, to be gentle with me. I, I need you to get away from me because I cannot be in your presence. And Peter's not the only one who's experienced this. I mean, you think about Isaiah when he saw the vision of the Lord in the temple. He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. And, and it takes the angel to come and to pull a burning coal, coal from, the, uh, from the altar and touch his lips in order for him to be clean. Or you think of Job when he questions God and he calls out against him and God responds to him in the whirlwind and all of this and Job says, okay, I've spoken once but I will speak no more. Uh, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, when we have an experience with God, this is not just simply an intellectual experience, but when we have an experience with God, we recognize that he is different than us. And that we are not necessarily on safe ground. And part of the question that we have this morning is this. Have you had that experience? I, I'm not asking, you know, how often have you gone to church? I'm not asking how many Bible stories do you know? I'm not asking to what degree you can recite the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm asking about your experience with the Lord. I'm asking about, have you recognized your, your need of Him in a very real way? This is, this is part of sort of this, this upper story experience, stuff that we can't necessarily see. Uh, there, there's a supernatural element to this. 
But this is, this is part of what the story is inviting us into. And I say inviting us into because it would be terrifying. It would be absolutely terrifying if Jesus were not who he is. Because look at how gentle he is with Peter. I mean, can you imagine this situation? I mean, you, are, no, I cannot imagine this situation. I try to think about these things. You know, you, you've just clearly seen something miraculous. You've clearly seen something that has blown your doors off of your worldview. And one of the first things that Jesus says is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, I, I, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, I, I'm terrified. And Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. How, how is it that he says that? What, what's the basis of that? I was thinking about this a little bit more in some of these themes of fishing and judgment and being caught in a net and speared with a hook. And one of the things that I realized is that as much as Jesus was fishing for Peter. The gentleness of Jesus is that he is willing to be fished for us. You see, Jesus was caught in the net of God's judgment. Jesus was impaled upon the hook of the cross. Jesus expired like a fish out of water suspended between heaven and earth in order that we would not be afraid. In Tolkien terms, Jesus walked the paths of the dead in order that he might gather an army of people that would follow him because he wasn't afraid to go to that place. And so I ask you again, have you had that experience of recognizing that he is other than you. But then, have you had the experience of hearing him say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for the place where you need to go. I have gone first in order that you do not need to go. Peter is transformed. Again, it's a journey. You know, there's a process for Peter. Uh, chapter later on, uh, Peter, you know, Jesus will have to say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, because Peter keeps getting things wrong. Uh, but Jesus so gently says, I have been caught so that you can be caught by me in my mercy and in my love. And notice then the lower story implications for this. When, when these things happen, transpire, when we're transformed in this way, it has such implications. It has implications for our following. I mean, this is discipleship uh, to its core. So three S for you, the following, uh, the fellow humans, and finances. So let's uh, go through the first one. Uh, following, especially with regards to our vocation. The text tells us that uh, Jesus said, come after me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So they left everything uh, and they followed him. They, they left their, their boats, they left their partnership, they left their, all of these things that had defined them as people uh, and they began to follow Jesus. 
Uh, they began to bring their life, their identity subservient to his kingdom. His kingdom became foremost. Now, it's not to say that they never fished again. We know that they did. After Jesus died, uh, before he appeared to them, they were out in their boats fishing. Jesus appeared to them on the beach. Uh, they continued to engage in this occupation of fishing, but their vocation now was to be a follower of Jesus. Their vocation now was to, to follow after him. And, and this is the first thing that we have to recognize when we, we've had this self-quake and we, are the, the, we find ourselves on the path following Jesus is that everything becomes subservient to his kingdom. What happens when Jesus comes into the world is that he collapses the upper story and the lower story and, and we just have one story, well, the story of us following Jesus. So our jobs, uh, our parenting, our politics, everything is wrapped up into this following of Jesus. And Jesus and his kingdom is foremost, and, and these things come, come under that. So we are to be identified as followers of Jesus, not by a political party, not by our occupation, not by how many kids we have and how we raise them, not by any other thing. We are identified as followers of Jesus. And this is the thing that is always before us, and this is the thing that we're always trying to creep around. You know, we, we want to have significance, we want to have security, success, all of these different idols, and we tend to move away from discipleship. So this is what Richard Stearns very practically was struggling with. Now, when, when the idols of our bank account crumble, who am I? Uh, you know, who am I? If I can't provide for my family, if I can't do this, well, then I, I've lost my identity. And what Renee, his wife, helped him to remember is, no, you are still a child of the Lord's. Talk to your father. You know, go to him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is recognizing that we are a child of the King and, and that our lives, you know, all come under him and we can bring that to Jesus and we can talk to him in that way. So our vocations, you know, the following, everything is about following Jesus, subservient to him. Second, uh, fellow humans. This is one of the things that, there are several things along, so I haven't known this story for so long, but I learned so much this week. Uh, so one of the things that I learned is that there is, in the Greek, uh, this idea here where Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. That word, catching men, that verb, is only used two times in the New Testament. The other time is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's talking about being a servant of the Lord, being a follower of Jesus, and how we are then to live in, uh, in this world. This is very practical words, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. Wow, don't we see that a lot uh, in our world today. You know that they breed quarrels. As the, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So this is a vision that Paul is giving Timothy of what it means or what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the world. Uh, 
God may perhaps then grant repentance to people outside of the church, leading them to a knowledge of the truth that, and this is the key part where uh, the connection comes in, that they may escape the snare of the devil after being captured or caught by him to do his will. What we see here is that this world is being fished. You know, like a good river, like a good lake, this world is being fished. And primarily, there are two forces fishing. On the one hand, you have Satan. You have the devil. You have his snare. You know, that's the image that is being used here. He is catching people in his net. On the other hand, you have Jesus telling his community of people, he's saying, I want you to go out and to be catching people for the gospel. I want you to go out and to be catching people, not in the net that is going to lead to judgment, but in the net that is going to lead to eternal life. When I, when I realized this, when I, when, I, when I saw this connection, I, I was just impressed with the urgency of what it is that we're doing. I mean, we, we are living in the midst of a world that is being fished uh, by two opposing forces. And, and depending on where you are caught, who catches you, there is judgment and there is life. And, and I've got friends and I've got neighbors and I've got people that I run into at DNW and I've got people that I work with. I've got kids that I teach in school. I've got all of these relationships in my life and they're being fished. And, and what God is, is, is coming to us, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you know, your whole life is laying out and, and you recognize that you're part of this story. And I'm inviting you to go and to be a fisher of humanity and, and, and to catch them with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, to show them exactly what I have shown you, that you are more messed up and broken than you ever could have imagined. When you truly see yourself, you will say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man but you are more loved and accepted in Christ. Do not be afraid, for I have come in order that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Do we see ourselves in that employ, fishing? It's such a, it's such a beautiful picture. You know, we realize this is about a lot more than, than first century subsistence, you know, getting a fish to eat. This is about life, death, our friends, our fellow humans, the people that we share the planet with. Third thing that I'll mention just very practically is finances. Why finances? Well, I was watching Wicked Tuna a couple weeks ago. Uh, and uh, it's one of these crazy National Geographic shows, and they're, they're going out on these boats, and they're fishing tuna. Tuna are enormous fish. Uh, they, you know, can weigh as much as a small car. Um, 
one of the things I was impressed with, though, is they get these tuna back, and then they take it to market, and they use it for sushi and all sorts of different things. They take out core samples of these tuna and uh, check it out. But then they're like, yeah, I'll pay you $12,000 for this tuna or $20,000 or even more. I mean, these fish can be so much. What you realize is that that fish is dollars. And it was the same thing for Peter and his gang. I mean, they left a whole pile of fish, a bigger amount of fish than they had ever seen before. And they left everything, including those dollars, sitting on the shore in order to follow Jesus. Do you see, when Jesus comes into our life, he not only messes with our vocation. He not only changes how we feel, see, you know, how we see the fellow humans and, and exposes the urgency that we have with that, he changes the way we think about our money. Uh, no longer is money the thing that, that controls us. I mean, this, this was, if not generational wealth, and remember, this is a uh, oppressed people. Jews were living under Roman oppression. So, you know, in order for them, do we have some deer behind us? <laughs> I see everybody like, ah, ah, ah. oh yeah, see, go away. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, all right, we all good now? <laughs> Anybody want to go get their rifle? (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) Somewhere with money. (laughs) He left the fish on the shore. Amen. So, when Peter recognizes this, uh, Peter says, you know, my vocation the way I view my fellow humans, the way I view my finances, I love something more. And I think this is maybe where I ended up. You know, when we have the self-quake, what is going to change about you? You know, is your hairstyle going to change? What's going to change is what you love. And this is what Jesus is inviting us all into. We, we live in a world where people love a lot of things. You know, a lot of it has to do with money, you know, security, significance, a lot of these things. We, we love a lot of these things. But Jesus says there's something higher to love, and that's life with me. That, that's walking with me. That's being my disciple. And when that happens to you, you're going to find a happiness, you're going to find a joy that you would never find before. And that's what Richard Stearns realized that night when his lower story world was just crashed in by his wife reminding him, have you prayed? And I know some of you are living that tension right now. It might be financial. I know for some of you, it's the diagnosis, uh, you know, the grieving, the, the loss of a relationship, of a loved one. We have all of those things. But Jesus comes and collapses our world, and he says, follow me, and I'm going to teach you to love. I'm going to teach you to love me above all. And, and when you experience my love, you will realize there's nothing more that you want in the whole world. So here we are. We're starting our journey. 
We're going to continue stopping it at a number of these miracles. And we're going to keep hearing the call of Jesus. Come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you not only for your word and your teaching, but the way that you come in and you work in our lives. Uh, we thank you that you are not just a disembodied rabbi or, or good teacher, uh, but rather that you came in and were willing to be fished in, in the context of this world in order that we might have life, uh, that we would walk with you and not be afraid. So, Father, we pray that you would take us and that you would lead us. I pray especially for those who maybe are, are respectful to you as master, but they have never really experienced you as Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to them in such a way that they would realize their absolute need of you. At the same time, they would hear your voice saying, do not be afraid. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.